Now, Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Here's your host, Chris Story. I got to tell you, your host couldn't be happier, couldn't be more excited. Today on the program, I have Sharon Lecter. Sharon Lecter is a co-author of a great series of books that you undoubtedly know about. But what's interesting is you may not know much about her. Sharon Lecter is the reason I suggest that the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book series took off as a global brand. She co-authored with Robert Kiyosaki. Here's Sharon Lecter. I guess the first question I'd love to ask you is, who informed your financial IQ the most? Was it your parents, grandparents, a book you read when you were a kid? Where'd you come from? Um, I grew up in a very lower middle class house, but my dad um, was all about building wealth and assets. I didn't realize until I got out into the real world that I had an incredible education that most people don't have. We taught, you know, at 11, I was scrubbing out rental properties between tenants. So I jokingly said I've been a real estate investor since the age of 10. <laughs> but we, he also owned orange groves because the oranges would give him cash flow. And later, one of those orange groves is now where SeaWorld is. So wow. he understood the velocity of money. And we would talk about assets and cash flow at the dinner table. It wasn't until I became a CPA and got out into the real world that I realized very few people understand money. And um, But my true passion for my dedication for financial education, financial literacy came in December of 92 when my oldest son came home from college after his first semester in credit card debt. We didn't even know he had a credit card. So he was one of those kids that got to school and the, the free table was free pizza, free money, free t-shirt, free money. So he had a really good time this first semester in college. And then the Piper came due. It wasn't, he realized, found out it wasn't such free money after all. So that was December of 92. And that's when I dedicated the rest of my career to what I'm doing now, financial education, financial literacy. That's amazing. And you, I was just going to say you're the rest of your career, you're at a stage of your career. You don't have to be doing this. You choose this. And now I understand, because that was going to be another question I asked is why are you doing this? You could be on on your ranch, you could be doing anything you want to, and yet you are still giving. And I guess maybe I could answer my own question by hearkening back to something your father said to you every single day. Have you added value to someone's life today? And so maybe that all ties together. Yep, you've been doing your homework. That's right. He told me, you know, people ask me what my you know pieces of advice are, and, and that's always one of them. I grew up with him asking me that every night. And, you know, he's been gone for 18 years, but I still ask myself that every night. And wouldn't the world be a better place if everybody wanted to add value and not take it? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And and we have to know and come full circle. Obviously, your son got out of credit card debt. But um, I mean, what when when you look back at that moment in 1992, doesn't that feel like a lifetime ago? And yet at the same time, kids are still offered credit cards today. Yeah, I mean, I'm as passionate about it today as I was back then. But I think what's more important today is that we we are seeing a change at now 25 states. Now, back then, very few states had personal finance, but now 25 states have already implemented or on the way to implementation of a required semester class in personal finance. 
Unfortunately, um, Arizona is not one of them. And so I'm back at the state where I've actually been testifying to the State Board of Education trying to get them to do that. But, we, you know, I've been at the national level, different countries, different states across the country, continuing to sound the, the alarm and the horn that we need to prepare our children for the economic world they face. What role, if any, would you say that luck has played in your life, either with money and finance or relationships or both? Luck is when um, preparation meets opportunity. I think if you um, continue to work towards a definite purpose and you keep your eyes open, you will spot those opportunities that can be viewed by others as luck. But... Um, And success is really not dollars and cents. It's how you feel about yourself when you look in the mirror. Mm. And you're right. I mean, I don't need to be doing what I'm doing, but I also don't call what I do work. When you you love what you do or you're dedicated from a purpose perspective, it's not work. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I just recently read, oh, I wish I could remember off the top of my head, Sharon, maybe you know, it's it's, a hundred billion, I believe. I mean, there's an inordinate amount of money that is spent on lottery tickets in America every year. And it's predominantly, it appears to be, those dollars are coming from people that can least afford that kind of an expenditure in their life. And yet at the same time, maybe they feel like that luck is their only grab at the, the apple or the brass ring or their rung to the ladder of life. What would, you, what would you say to anybody who's really counting on, quote, luck or winning the lottery? Well, that's um, not the smartest move when it comes to money. You know, I always tell people, um, even in, when we're talking about digital currencies today, I said, don't don't put money that you need to eat in there. Consider it a form of entertainment. People who buy lottery tickets, um, you know, the, the the world of luck is definitely stacked against you when you buy a lottery ticket. But that doesn't mean it's not something that is you see adrenaline flowing and people excited, but it's like going to Vegas, right? Mm. People go to Vegas and they say, well, I'm going to spend a hundred bucks. And when I'm done, I'm done. That's my entertainment budget versus those who go next hand, next hand. And all of a sudden they find themselves thousands of dollars in debt. So it all comes back to mindset. You know, what is your mindset? Because what happens is those people with lottery that are addicted to the lottery or gambling, they truly have a, a scarcity mindset, and the vast majority of us are raised that way because we're not taught about money. We're raised with things like save for a rainy day, pinch your pennies, and we can't afford it. Money doesn't grow on trees. Every one of those things is negative. So you grow up money negative, money negative, money negative. No wonder we end up developing a, a mindset of scarcity, and it's in our subconscious. So it's not something you can just snap your fingers and have it go away. You have to actually pay attention to that and start reprogramming your brain. Instead of saying, I can't afford it, say, how can I afford it? Because that triggers your entrepreneurial spirit. It triggers your subconscious. It's not a a negative statement. You know, you say, I can't afford it. You just want to turn off the lights and get under the covers. But if you say, how can I afford it? It triggers that entrepreneurial spirit in your subconscious and it goes to work trying to help you figure out how to do that and so you open your mind to the possibilities and that's why you either if you live scarcity you have blinders on you know you're looking down 
that if you trigger that abundance mindset, you open your eyes and you look up for opportunities so that you can buy, build, or create assets. My favorite word on earth, Chris, is assets. So, And what are they? Assets put money in your pocket. So income-producing assets, you are financially free when the income from your assets exceeds your monthly expenses. It does not have to be millions of dollars. When I met Robert Kiyosaki, he had two small apartment complexes. He was making $100,000 a year in passive income. His living expenses, he lived in a two-bedroom condo, were like thirty-five, thirty-six thousand a year. He was financially free at $100,000 of income. That is the message that I wanted to share with the world. That is the message that everybody needs to hear. You don't have to be a billionaire to be financially free. Start buying, building, and creating income-producing assets. And what are those? Businesses, um, real estate, rental real estate, paper assets, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, intellectual property where you write a book or you create a program or you make an invention where you own the property generated from your mind. And that is where you can start. Once you create it, the asset becomes your employee. It works for you. And that's when you get your time back. You know, we can make money, lose it, and make it back. But once our time is gone, it's gone. And so do you want to live into your future self being hindered to a paycheck? Or do you want to have your, your time freed up so you can enjoy life? And that's, I mean, at the end of the day, I tell people, it's not what you do for your paycheck that determines your financial future. It is what you do with your paycheck that determines your financial future. With every dollar you receive, you have a choice. Do I say goodbye to it and spend it, or do I invest it and invest it in my future? That's an amazing answer. I'm so grateful that I asked the question, but I really thought you were going to say assets are sexy, which is your tagline, and it's amazing. However, that answer was just dynamite thank you so much well, because assets are sexy Chris. <laughs> and the other thing i say is the older you become the sexier they become so. i agree i agree you mentioned robert kiyosaki people know you around the world as being the co-author of rich dad poor dad and, and really helping build that into a global brand maybe people are less aware uh, although it's gained a tremendous amount of traction your involvement since 2008 if i'm not mistaken with the napoleon hill foundation Question, um, when did Napoleon Hill's work first enter your life? When did you discover him? Great question. I was 19 in college, and I read Think and Grow Rich. I did not really understand the impact on my life that book would have until I was probably in my 30s. Hmm. But, yeah, what an incredible opportunity. I made the decision to leave the Rich Dad organization because I was no longer, we were no longer aligned in our personal missions in March of 07. And did not know what was in the future for me. And I tell people, and I share this story with your listeners, sometimes you have to close the door for other doors of opportunity to open. I made the decision to leave height of our success. People thought I was absolutely crazy. And there were times when I thought I was crazy. But I knew I couldn't stay there just from a personal mission perspective. And so a few months later is when I got the call from President Bush to be on the first President's Advisory Council for Financial Literacy. I served both Bush and Obama. would not have had that call had I still been at Rich Dad. In March of 08, 
as you mentioned, is when I got the call from the Napoleon Hill Foundation. Now, as I said, I've been a huge fan of Napoleon Hill's work, but to have the call, to have, having after having built the world's largest personal finance brand, and then to be asked to step in to the world's largest personal um, development brand to help reinvigorate its teachings, because we know what was happening to the economy in 2008, nothing good, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so they wanted to reinvigorate Napoleon Hill's teachings, because many people didn't know who he was and had never heard of the book. And so what an incredible honor I had to, I wrote Three Feet from Gold and then Outwitting the Devil, which was hidden away for 73 years. I brought that out to the world. Then I wrote Thinking Grow Rich for Women and Success in Something Greater, all in cooperation and in close alignment with the Napoleon Hill Foundation. Fantastic books, all of them. And uh, Three Feet from Gold is such a terrific story it's a it's a i don't want to call it a parable but it is it's a narrative story that folds into it the teachings of napoleon hill in a way that you can read it again and again and read it with your your family and or suggest it to anybody and have it have a big impact on your life i love love that book you mentioned uh think and grow rich for for women in my life just kind of a quick summary my mom and dad built companies together built their businesses together my wife and i built our companies and our investments together i have a, the the greatest accountant i could ask for in carrie herndon a woman i think women get finance and but yet at the same time i'm curious as to what you want women and women of the world to know about business and financing because i know that's a big mission of yours yes it is absolutely in fact i have a new book that just released called How Money Works for Women, Take Control or Lose It. Because, you know, women tend, we are better investors, but we also get into analysis paralysis and we have a great more fear. And historically, women tend to abdicate the financial responsibility. And so what happens is you end up having your husband pass away or, you know, heaven forbid, you get a divorce and the woman has no credit in her own name and she's literally drops her standard of living 27%. And so I'm trying to sound the horn for women to take control because we already control 60% of personal wealth. And by the year 2030, we will have $30 trillion under women's control. So with that comes responsibility to educate ourselves, to understand money, to understand how to receive it, big one, how to receive it how to invest it, how to grow it, how to preserve it, and how to create generational wealth. And we are still behind the eight ball in taking charge of owning our financial life. And I'm, you know, I'm again, standing on the mountaintop, getting, trying to wake women up. Because what happens is when you have a problem, a setback, you feel like you're the only one that has it and you're not. So this new book, How Money Works for Women, I take women from every decade of life, from 19 to 86, and talk about the various things that women face, including, you know, going to college or starting, um, planning for a wedding, starting a business, having a special needs child and having to readjust how you earn income, um, escaping an abusive marriage and starting over with children. Um, then I talk about having a 25-year marriage, looking forward to retirement together, and your husband asks for a divorce. What do you do? How do you take care of yourself? A woman looking at going into Medicare, all of these things. And then a woman who ends up 
having her adult son and her father move in, the sandwich generation. All of these are real issues that every woman will face one of them during her lifetime. And it's so important to prepare yourself so that you are in control because, you know, the subtitle is take control or lose it. And that's, you know, more women need to take control of their finances. That's powerful. I can't wait to read that and get that for both my daughters and uh, for, for my own library with uh, Tiffany and I. You've- oh, it's a unique book, um, Chris, because it's four color. We have characters, avatars for each one of these characters. It's very easy to read, not intimidating. I'm getting such tremendous feedback from the women that have read it. I'm really proud of it. That's great. Can't wait to get it. And that's interesting, too, that you, you take a different approach because, you know, books have been, you know, in our midst for thousands of years. And at the same time, we do learn differently today. We do have a different type of attention span or whatever it is. And for you to be mixing it up and, and creating a new type of, of book is, is cool. I think that's pretty exciting. It is. I'm really proud of it. I wasn't sure at first, but then as I continued doing it, and then my very first bit of feedback was from a friend's daughter who's in her early 30s. And she said, oh, my gosh, this is so easy to read. I learned so much. It's like, okay, done. <laughs> it's yeah. working. <laughs> yeah, be, because readings reten- well, successful reading involves retention. And how you read and how, you, how the information is displayed makes a huge difference. I think that's awesome. You've been successful for 35-plus years. I mean, you've been successful for a long time. You had the the opportunity to learn from it sounds like an incredible man your father and then 19 you're introduced to napoleon hill's thinking which has influenced you whether you kind of knew it or not at that time you've taken advantage of a lot of opportunities based on your own discipline and work obviously i'm not suggesting that it was just handed to you but are those same kind of opportunities available today today like that could somebody start today hearing this conversation, they've got nothing or less than nothing with credit card debt, and still climb out and reach to the top? Absolutely. It's never been easier, quite frankly, um, because of the internet, because of online businesses. You know, the issue is when you've dug yourself a hole, the first step is to stop digging. And the second step is to figure out where you are. Even if the picture is bleak, you'll feel more powerful because you have taken the test, you've taken control. And one step at a time, look at little wins. You have the opportunity to pay down your bad debt. You have an opportunity to start investing, even if it's small amounts, into assets. And that consistent application of better money habits will be more quickly received, and you'll start seeing the the results. Think about the momentum of your money. Right now, is it going backwards? More than likely, if you've got money sitting in a savings account, it is. So how can you start changing the momentum of your money and start moving forward so you're making more on your money than the um, inflation rate? Yeah, thank you so much for that guidance. And also that inspiration, I guess it ties into one of my last questions, which is, are you optimistic for the future? Is the future bright in in Sharon Lecter's world for the rest of us? Um, absolutely. I'm seeing more and more women taking control. More and more women are getting into management positions. We have a huge social de- um, demographic change, and that is more over 40% of women um, are the pri- are, are primary breadwinners in their family, whether they're the own sole or primary breadwinners. And that's a huge shift in our social dynamics. 
And so with that does come responsibility. And we really need to wake up. And I think you're seeing more women in management positions, you're seeing more women CEOs. But more importantly, I think it's it, each of us has the resources now through the Internet, through, through studies, through books, to take action. That's where people stop. They know they're supposed to do something. They just don't do it. So if there's one thing I can say, if you are the CEO of your life, we are all where we are today because of the choices we made before today, men and women. If you want something different, you want something better, you want something more, you simply need to start making different choices, different decisions. That's a whole chapter in Think and Grow Rich. Decide and then couple it with consistent action and you will see yourself in a better position next month than you are today. People are listening and thinking, I've got to have more Sharon Lecter in my life. Obviously, I recommend all the books you've written. Uh, again, 15 in the Rich Dad series, your own uh, works in the Napoleon Hill Foundation and more. Your new book coming out. Can't wait to get it. You've also got a newsletter, which is short, punchy, and effective and to the point. Where can where can we sign up for that newsletter? Absolutely. Please visit my website, SharonLecter.com, S-H-A-R-O-N-L-E-C-H-T-E-R.com. You can sign up for my, my newsletter. I also have a daily motivational tip. You know, when I get mad about something, I usually start a new company, Chris. And so <laughs> when COVID started, I was so tired of all the negativity. I started doing these positive messages every day, and I'm close to 1,500 of them at this point. And you have the opportunity, I call them your daily ATM, which is Abundance Tips and Mentorship, a play on ATMs in the banks. But this is an ATM for your mind, for your subconscious injection of positivity. And you can find out more about that on my website as well. SharonLector.com. Sharon, it's been a privilege and a pleasure, and I cannot thank you enough. I look forward to your next trip to Alaska and hope to meet you. Well, thank you so much, Chris. It's a delight, and I appreciate what you're doing to help people. All right. Thank you so much, Sharon. Be well. You're listening to The Backyard, Millionaire, How to Create Wealth, Where You Are with What You've Got. Isn't that inspiring to hear that, that idea that it's never been easier? And it might be easier to say than to do, but it's true. I really agree with Sharon. And the other thing I loved about that uh, it's a line I've, I've been using since she said it. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, it's not what you do for a paycheck. It's what you do with your paycheck. Fabulous. I know that you got out of that conversation something wonderful, but might want to hear it again. This is where I direct you to our website, ilovehomeralaska.com, and you can share those wise words of, of Sharon's to anybody you think could use that kind of an influence. So Really, it just a, it made my day to get to know her and spend time with her before and after the interview and just realize she's such a down-to-earth, real person. And what I didn't include in this conversation, and I, I thought about it, I almost put it in there because you and I have this rapport where you know I just tell you what's on my mind. And I'm honest with you, 100%, never lied here, ever once always I'm honest with you. And so I almost put it into this interview and I thought, no, because there's going to be people that hear this outside of our circle, outside of our little family here. And they're going to hear it through the internet. And I just, no, I'll leave it out, but I'll tell you. And so 
what happened is I, I got Sharon on the phone and this had been weeks in the making to get this together to, to coordinate our schedules and and if I it just worked out beautifully. We're finally we're there together. And I just told her very candidly, I said, Sharon, I'm really nervous. I'm like, you know, I've been, I've been doing this for 16 years. I've interviewed hundreds of people. And I didn't tell her this, but I mean I've interviewed some big names. And I said, but I said, look, I've interviewed a lot of people, but I'm really nervous. And she goes, oh, Chris, don't, don't be. She goes, I, it's just me. It's just me sharing. We're just going to have a conversation. And then, boom, everything just went so well. But I, uh, I really enjoyed meeting her. And again, just being in her aura, being around her and her presence for just that short amount of time that I got to be there, I'm better off for it. I've already actually received, uh, I got three copies of her book, How Money Works for Women. And so I've given one copy to Zoe. I've got another copy here for my daughter, Ashley. And then I've got a copy for Tiff and I. Uh, it's a cool book, just like she talked about it. It's very, it's almost like a graphic novel, but it's not. It's its for understanding money, but in, in a really kind of cool way. And so anyway, she's still at this at this point in her career, again, could be on this. She's got this massive ranch in Arizona. I mean, she could be there doing nothing but ranching, enjoying life. And she wants to make a difference every single day. That's adding value. And you just can't lose. The more value you add to the world and into, into the world, into the marketplace, the more that comes back at you. Coming up in just a little bit, we, we need to once in a while take the pulse of what's going on in the mortgage world. We've got Stephen Gist with Global Credit Union. We're going to be talking a little bit about interest rates and how to manage and maintenance your credit because it matters. If you want to play this game, you want to uh, adopt the four home formula, you want to end up with four properties paying you monthly, and you want to have an income that goes beyond maybe even your own life and you leave a legacy and you create some passive income, but also again, creating a, a millionaire lifestyle that you can pass on to your family. Having a mortgage and understanding how to use credit is a big part of that. Leverage multiplied by your effort equals reward. That and much more when we return here to The Backyard Millionaire. Stick around. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Time now for your Mortgage Moment with Stephen Gist. I've sort of set you up to fail, Stephen. Uh-oh, what's going on? You're following Sharon Lecter on the program today. <laughs> She's the uh, co-author of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series. So it's almost like, you know, going up against, I don't know, Cher singing or something like that. I don't know how oh, you're going to compete. Oh, my gosh. Or I guess oh more, you're probably more of a Springsteen guy than a Cher guy. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. Yeah. What music did you yeah. listen to growing up? Oh, man, you know, uh, let's see here. Listen to Rush. Listen to some Rush. And then uh, uh, Chicago, Air Supply. Yeah, kind of wide range of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. a lot a and lot then, softer than I would have expected. I, I kind of figured you were more of a metalhead, Dio, Dokken, Ozzy. <laughs> you know, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. We were talking about music we, we listened to growing up. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was a lot of, like, John Denver, you know, Ann Murray, mm -hmm. Captain and Tennille, uh <laughs> Neil Diamond, you know? Oh, man. All that, man. I hadn't thought about that stuff in forever. 
Yeah, at least but, you uh, said the right Neil. You didn't say Neil Sadaka. Neil Diamond, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, the other thing, U2. U2 was huge when I was in high school, so that was a big group that we listened to. Oh, um, have you yeah. seen the Sphere in Las Vegas where they're being featured right now, U2? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've watched part of the video that, yeah, that yeah. on YouTube they came out with showing a lot of it. Yeah, that's that must have been phenomenal. I'm looking yeah. Tiffany and I are yeah. threatening each other to go and see it. Part of me is like, this is a spectacle that I have to see the sphere and you two is, is one of my childhood bands, but at the same time, yep. I don't know. What is there like a thousand people in there? I don't know. I really want to be stuck in a, <laughs> this thing with all those people. I can't get that out of my head. So, so what I hear is like, um, you know, really wanting to have that experience, but getting old enough to where you're, you know, merging on getting curmudgeonly. Like you're a little bit like, yeah, all those people. Get off my lawn. Know, like tra that travel. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm playing with all those people. Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, speaking of nailing it, let's get into credit maintenance. Because um, you kind of use a term here, credit maintenance, that... I guess maybe I've never heard it before, but I think I get it. I think you mean, in other words, making sure your credit is in good shape, et cetera. But talk to me about what do you mean by credit maintenance and what do you want people to know? Yeah, I guess, I guess um, maybe, maybe uh, another aspect, aspect of it is just kind of, if you don't uh, keep track of what your credit, you know, is doing, uh, you know, kind of get dialed into that, see what your credit score is, mm -hmm. um, you know, and see how that's uh, moving along. But, but, you know, there are a lot of folks I meet who keep track of it these days, better educated these days on it, and um, just making sure they're doing, you know, the right things, you know, for, and it's fairly easy, you know, once um, you've got things rolling, you know, like no payments more than 30 days late, you know, just make sure you're not having any collections pop up. But, you know, the heaviest hitter on anyone's credit report is what your revolving credit is doing. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk with folks, if, you know, if they've got a good credit score, just want them to make sure they know that you really want those credit cards to report with a low balance. And I think one of the biggest things that people don't know is those credit cards only report one day out of the month. And so some folks are surprised when they come in and we pull credit and they'll see like, oh, the balance on a credit card that they pay off every month is pretty high. And I'm like, yeah, that's because, you know, one, it's going to report one day of the month. And it may be when you're loading up your Alaska Airlines card, you know, to get all the mileage you can. And it's at its highest. You pay it off at the end of the month, but it's still going to report with that high balance. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in that case, I might say, hey, just change your, you know, the, the day on which you pay that every month so that it reports. And first of all, you can find out, you can call your credit card company and say, hey, what day do you report? And then you can kind of change things accordingly so that you pay it down so that balance reports low. That's interesting. So, so it's a snapshot. Yeah. It's just a snapshot yeah. in time. And that on that day in this month, boom, Chris Story owed X to Visa Chase or whatever. And that that's really, that is interesting. And I, I like yeah. the idea of credit maintenance. I like the term because it comes to mind it's not set it and forget it because you can get blindsided pretty quickly and exactly. stuff. it takes exactly. time, you know, so it's a lot easier to tank your credit than it is to bring it back to life. That's right. That's right. 
Yeah, and, um, and a lot of people, with, especially with these credit monitoring um, apps that are out there right now, you know, it's those are dynamic. You know, you can make a payment on your credit card and it'll say, you know, give you a little dopamine hit because like, oh, you just improved your credit score. So that's really what I want folks to understand is that in the in the mortgage setting when we pull it, that's it's not that dynamic. And so it takes a little bit uh, more, I guess, planning to make sure that those are reporting for these mortgage reports the right way. And we, I want to I want to steer right into interest rates, if not the exact rate of the day, maybe sort of the feel of where we're at. And that begs the question, how much does your credit score impact the rate you're offered? And I would say greatly. It's a it's a huge piece of the credit or excuse, the interest rate you're going to be quoted, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, so definitely with conventional loans, you know, uh, it's, it's going to impact your credit score is going to impact what your rate is. So. So with best credit, you know, as of as of today, you know, you'd be looking at maybe, you know, in the seven low sevens at seven percent, um, and then you could pay points and maybe buy it down to kind of the high to mid sixes, uh, and then as your credit, and that would be for like a seven eighty credit score and higher, and so as your credit score goes down. It, it goes down in sections, so like 760 to 779, it would be maybe an eighth of a percent higher. And then on down as you, uh, and it's usually 20 point increments as you go down. So, so that would be for, for a conventional loan. Uh, the nice thing about VA, FHA, uh, USDA, the kind of government loans, those if you have pretty much a 640 credit score or higher, you're going to get the same rate, whether your credit score is 640 or 840. So it, it depends on which program you're going with, but definitely for conventional loans, it can really impact your rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other thing that to, to know while you're maintaining your credit is that it also impacts your insurance rates and, and more. A lot of landlords, if you're renting because it's not time or the season for you to buy right now or you've sold and you're going to rent in the interim, a lot of landlords are looking at credit. I personally don't. It's not part of the matrix by which I measure somebody's qualifications, but a lot of people do. And so it matters. And it's also all part and parcel of getting ready and preparing for buying that first home, second or fourth home if you're following the Backyard Millionaire Plan. So you got to have all of that. Besides getting credit uh, checked and maintenance and up to where it needs to be up to snuff. What else do you encourage people to do as they prepare to purchase a home? Yeah, no, great question. I, I think just getting to know the market that you're hoping to buy into, um, just following what the market's doing, getting a feel for the houses that you're looking for, you know, what are they priced at? How fast are they moving? And, and really, you know, I, I think at this point having a, a team of, you know, basically consultants to help you out with that, you know, good real estate agent uh, can help you understand the, the market really well. And I think the combination of, you know, increasingly having a better understanding of the market and really dialing into, you know, what's available to you for a mortgage, those two in combination will really help you prepare to know hey, this is the right time to move or this is the time to wait. And down, down payment is a massive hurdle for many, many people trying to get into the, to the home ownership 
realm having that down payment. You've got a lot of programs. You mentioned a couple of them, USDA and VA that are zero down, but still have a requirement of, I would have said sort of a, a rule of thumb is figure your closing costs for the average buyer going to be somewhere around between two to three percent. Is that still a decent metric to calculate when, when thinking about buying how much you need to save up? Absolutely. I would say, yeah, just as a, just a quick and dirty way to think about what those would be. I'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd say two and a half percent is probably good. Um, cause three percent I think might be, uh, a little high in some cases, okay. a little low. So yeah, I'd say two and a half percent. Not okay. Bad. Yeah, that way to go. Yep. And just uh, just quickly, because we got to wrap up with a la kind of a last minute reminder: if you can negotiate between both parties, you the buyer and the seller, to have the seller pay those or some of those costs, that's okay with all of these programs you've talked about. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, with all these programs, and and there is a limit uh, depending on the program. But for example, conventional loan, if you put the minimum down, it's three percent of the purchase price and just kind of based on that comment I just made, that is probably going to, you know, cover, you know, all if not most of, of what you would need on that. And then for, for VA, for the government family of loans, it's, it's pretty generous after that, usually way more than closing costs would be. You want to talk to this man directly, you can call 907-235-8815-8815 or go online, stephengist.com. That's G-I-S-T. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate your time. And, and you did well. Again, coming up against the, the big leagues here with Sharon, <laughs> Sharon Lecter, you did well, my friend. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, I hope so. All right. Thank you so much. Stay tuned, everybody. We got more to come here on The Backyard Millionaire. You are listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story. You can find me, connect with me online anytime, night or day, 24-7, 365 at ilovehomeralaska.com. ilovehomeralaska.com. All four of my books are there. Born to Live, The Backyard Millionaire. Those are the two inspirational books. The lesser inspiration lives with The Making of Man and The Watchman. That's my stab at non, or excuse me, fiction, uh, thriller fiction. I, I love the books. They may not be for you, but check them out. I love homeralaska.com. Keith Cunningham. So we've heard from Sharon Lecter earlier today in the program. And Keith Cunningham is another person who advised Robert Kiyosaki and was a big part of the formation of Robert Kiyosaki's financial IQ and his ideas around becoming financially free. Keith somewhat bills himself as the, the actual rich dad. And uh, that was the influence to Robert Kiyosaki. And Tiffany and I saw him in Las Vegas, actually. And he's a, he's a great speaker. He's a, he's a real inspiration for anybody looking to do business, to get into business, improve upon your business, or uh, be an investor of any kind. And he's not limited to just real estate, but that is a focus. And, of course, lots of other businesses. And he hails from Texas. And he's written a book called The Keys to the Vault and, and several others. Another one called The, Load Re the Road Less Stupid. That's a great book. And I just wrote down a few notes and I thought, well, let me share. As long as we're opening the rich dad, poor dad vault today, and we're talking to and about the minds behind the brand, such as 
Sharon Lecter. Here's Keith Cunningham's ideas from the Keys of the Vault. He said, you got to know your numbers. You hear this a lot. Tillman Fertitta says the same thing. The multi-billionaire who owns uh, Golden Nugget and Bubba Gump Seafoods and Landry's, all the, the food kingpin of the, the country, the upper, you know, fast casual and upper class restaurants, Morton Steakhouse, Great Texan. Anyway, he says the same thing. Know your numbers. If you don't know your numbers, you don't got a business. It's about as simple as that. Dave Ramsey took a call on one of his um, programs not that long ago where a woman had said they had a little cake shop and she wanted to franchise. Is now the right time for us to franchise? A little 600 square foot storefront, making decent money. He asked her, you know, okay, well, what's your gross revenue? She said, eh, 400 and something. Uh, I don't remember exactly, but um, here's a big kicker. She didn't either and didn't know her bottom line. And Dave's like, you don't have a business. If you don't know your numbers, you don't have a business. Coming back to Keith Cunningham, he said, it's so important to understand the financial metrics and key performance indicators. You hear this on MSNBC and, uh, not MSNBC, but CNBC, the business network, and, and other people talk about KPI. That's your key performance indicators. You've got to know what they are. You got to know your revenues, expenses, profit margins, cash flow, and other financial terms and metrics. And so I was discussing with Stephen a bit ago that one of the metrics I use to measure somebody's tenancy in one of our properties isn't credit score. So, but here's a better question How are you measuring the success of your business? I had a good friend who's now passed away, but we used to talk a lot about business together and, and we both were growing our businesses at about the same time and, and we'd kind of just drive around town and drink coffee and, and chat and you know kind of commiserate or celebrate depending upon what was going on. And he said, man, it's just, it doesn't matter what the top line is, it's the bottom line. And it's so true. It doesn't matter what you make, it matters what you take home. What are you taking home? And then also, what are your goals? What do you really want out of your investment? What do you really want? What do you really want out of life? What do you want this thing to do for you? This business, this investment, this property. What is it that you want it to do? And you better know your numbers. And in knowing your numbers, I agree with Keith Cunningham completely. You better know the revenues, expenses, and everything else. But also, you better know what it's actually worth relative to the marketplace. Sometimes we want our property to do something that it cannot. And I've been in this position. I listed a property that Tiffany and I owned for sale one time at a price that I'm like, you know, this is what I need. If I'm going to do uh, Y, I need X to be worth this, then I can do YZ. Fine. I kind of don't care. And it didn't sell at that price. It just didn't. I wanted it to do something for me that it just couldn't. So know your numbers. That counts all the way around in investing. Also, Keith Cunningham from Keys to the Vault says, focus on cash flow. It's the lifeblood of any business. You know, really managing the cash flow, what's coming in on the data. You can make some mistakes if you've got some cash flow. If the cash flow starts to dry up, Whew, that's when suddenly, it, it reminds me a little bit of what Ott Kilcher said during COVID, the early days of COVID. He came on uh, my, uh, my Top of the World special reports talking about what's going on. And he said, Chris, what we're seeing both in healthcare and our own health and our own uh, supply lines, everything else is that, you know, when you put a boat into bad weather, you start to find the chinks in the ship. You start to see where the leaks are and where things maybe aren't so good. And when cash flow starts to dry up, suddenly your systems become so much more important in business or your, or your investment. 
And really, I don't distinguish between the two, but I just want to kind of, you know, say that out loud because maybe you're hearing it differently. I want to make sure I'm talking to both both parts of your brain, depending upon where you're coming from, just investment or a business. I'd prefer you see your investments as your business, so they're conflated. Also from Keith Cunningham, he says, continuous learning and improvement. Now, this is a guy like Sharon in his 70s, talking about continuing to learn, talking about continuing to have the mindset of self-improvement and how that makes a big difference. Again, pick up his book called The Road Less Stupid. I mean, it just, he shares a lot of things he's done that were stupid over the years and he continues to learn and make better choices going forward. Interestingly enough about Keith Cunningham, he owned a, a grouping of car washes in Texas and along comes this guy who, uh, you know, has got this idea of selling, you know, a game and different things. And he's got a little brochure and his name was Robert Kiyosaki. And that's how they ended up connecting. And Robert Kiyosaki, wisely to his credit, wanted to sell his pamphlet in a car wash, which is like, you don't sell books or pamphlets in a car wash. Well, he did. And it worked out quite well. And then lastly, we'll just share this idea of taking calculated risks. Nobody can measure your own risk. Look, we talk here on the Backyard Millionaire about your own return on investment. What's your personal return on investment? I can't measure for you what your investment should do for you. You have to settle in there. We can talk about cap rates. We can talk about absorption rates. We can talk about you know time yield of money and all the different things that go into measuring an investment and the success thereof. But it doesn't matter if to you, it doesn't work. You have your own yardstick by which to measure that investment. This investment, the one you're going to make, the one you did make, the one you want to get out of, however you're looking at this, you need to know what's your risk tolerance for you personally, what allows you to sleep at night, and what is your return on investment? What, what yield do you have to have? Some investors are, as we talked about many times, some investors are looking purely for that monthly cash flow. Like, I need this thing to earn X dollars a month or it's not worth me doing, or I wanna just recoup my cash. Like Tiffany and I are looking at, a, at an opportunity right now, and we're saying, okay, if we do this investment, probably we'd want to recoup the cash we're putting in within two years. Is that possible? And so we, we don't know, we're still looking at it, but can we take this, this amount of capital, get it back in two years? Kinda of don't care you know, about some of the other metrics right away so long as we can get that cash back and then continue to measure from there what that investment could and should do for us on going into the future. But immediately getting cash back. Well, that's a totally different story than saying, I'm not worried about getting the cash back. I may never want to get the cash back because it's a long-term play and the cash is going to do nothing for me in the bank. But see, we want to put it to work somewhere else. So we have a reason for that. Again, it comes back to your own personal risk tolerance and your own personal measurement of your return on that investment. So I get excited about talking about this stuff and I could go on and wax aimlessly, but I shan't. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sharon Lecter. I, I really did. And in fact, I'm just, like I said, I'm holding a copy right now of How Money Works for Women take control or lose it. Stop being a sucker is <laughs> the name of the subtitle. Stop being a sucker. And uh, I'm excited about it. If you go to her website, uh, her assistant just told me this a couple days ago, that if you go to her website, SharonLector.com and order the book, you can ask for Sharon to uh, sign it for you and inscribe it to you. And so, or, or somebody you love. Again, this is How Money Works for Women. Again, she talks, she's talking to people 1886, 
um, <clears throat> what you need to know and how to handle money. It's great stuff. I'm just kind of flipping through it right now. Maria estimated the wedding could cost around $18,000, but she wanted to add $2,000 buffer for any other. So she talks about wedding, how to plan for all of that kind of stuff, the money involved, um, checklists, and, and just concepts about money is important probably for anybody. But I'm assuming, again, she is aiming this directly at, at women for a reason. So I really, really respect that. All right, thank you for being here. Thank you to Mr. David Webb for engineering the program. It's a use it or lose it time. You know, this is the season to use it or lose it. You cannot store your resources. You cannot store them up. You cannot hoard the gift you were given. It's time to use it. It's time to put it to work. The world wants it. The world needs what you've got. Do not hide your light under a bushel. Do not get it out there. It's it, it, Your resources are only gonna grow if you use them. The longer you hoard them, the longer you sit on an idea, the, the, I don't really wanna share it just yet, what, what will people say? It begins to diminish. The only way to grow your own natural resources are to use them, put them to work, and you will see the results. You'll start to see things moving in your direction. It's, it's not Pollyannic or woo-woo to start talking about how the universe will pull you and is set up for your winning once you start moving in a particular direction. Sometimes we're not ready for something to happen and we're clinging to it subconsciously. Uh, clinging to, for example, and this is sort of inside baseball realtor stuff. You may not hear this from other people, probably won't. A lot of times it isn't until we're ready to let go of something that the energy starts flowing to us. I have recommended to people that they bury or at least look into burying a St. Joseph statue on their property. And there's a whole thing about how to do it, you know, upside down. I, I don't, I've never done it, but I've said to people, are you ready? And if you are, this might be something you look at. And does it do anything? I'm not sure. But what I do know for sure is when you go and you order it, and you go and then take the time to read about it, learn about it, dig, plant it, bury it, and you follow these these things, which I think are of a you know a part of a, the you know Catholicism. Essentially, it um, energy starts flowing, and I think life is that way. I think where we put our attention, where we put our our mindset, our time, what we pray for might not necessarily but be in our own best interest. We think maybe it is, but maybe it's not. Maybe there's something bigger. Maybe there's something else happening on purpose and for our purpose. So I, I believe what Sharon said, it has never been easier. It's never been easier. This is the right time. If you're interested, Tiffany and I are working on, we're finalizing the Millionaire Maker. We're gonna be putting that back out as a, no longer just a free product, although I'll give away plenty. It's going to be a, a printed on-demand book and an ebook and an audio book, which I'll, I'll do myself. And then we're gonna be teaching classes around it. So if you're interested, uh, stay tuned because I'm interested in contributing as much to your life as I possibly can. For all of us here at the Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story reminding you that you really can make a million bucks in your own backyard. <laughs> <laughs>